Hi, my name is Barnaby Kay, and you are listening to The Sirens of Audio. You're a classic example of the inverse ratio between the size of the mouth and the size of the brain. Files. This is the Sirens of Audio, the show that explores the universe of Doctor Who and the audio medium. I'm Dwayne. And I'm Philip. G'day, Dwayne. G'day, audiophiles. G'day, Philip. How's things? Things are good. Weather's coming, improving. Spring's coming out in Australia. Life's good. Daylight savings has nearly started. Yeah, when does that start? End of September? Uh, we're recording sort of almost halfway through September. So, and yeah, first weekend in October, isn't it? I don't know, but I'm looking when forward to it. When our clocks change? Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Now, we have an excellent, excellent podcast and vidcast lined up for you today. So don't forget, if you're listening to us, you can watch us as well on YouTube, Spotify. Uh, so don't forget that, where you can like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff, all that kind of jazz. Uh, we're going to be speaking with the incredible Claire Corbett. She is audiobook royalty and... Uh, has been doing it for many, many years and has recently done a audiobook reading of The Fires of Pompeii by James Moran. And in Big Finish, she also starred most recently in Jekyll and Hyde. So it was great to have the opportunity to have a little chat with her, Philip. It was indeed. She's a lot of fun. And we'll share, share that with you in just a second. But before we do, guess what? What, Dwayne? Too late, we're falling in, it's a rabbit hole. Here we go. <laughs> okay, Philip, so for this rabbit hole topic, since we're talking about different formats of Doctor Who, we're talking about an audio book reading, um, I just want to get your thoughts on, on the audio book range. Um, is it, do you often go back to, to stories just to get a different taste of particularly the classic era? Um, that's where I tend to go, just to get a, a different take on, uh, on those television stories. Um, how do you enjoy them? What do you get out of them? Yeah, it's a great question. The target book range was very special to me as a kid. Um, and so you know, I bought everything that came out and I, I became very well known to the manager at the Angus and Robinson shop nearby and ended up working at the, at the bookshop for a while doing all their stock takes because um, yeah, I just had to keep buying my supply of Doctor Who books and they're quite cheap back then. Um, so yes, yeah, so the target books have always been important to me. So once they started coming out on audio, I started getting them. So I, I've got most of the, actually I've got all of them that have come out so far. So I always get them, I download them now and try and listen to them well. Um, yeah, I, I love them. Um, it's interesting because I, I was always particularly keen to have you know the original doctors and companions do the readings, but a few have come out now you know, but with other people and they're spectacular mm. as well. So mm. yeah, if they choose well, um, I mean the Fires of Pompeii by you know with Claire Corbett reading it, it's the most amazing reading, and um, 
uh, Koshaw has done a few now, and, and he's ones are spectacular. And so, and Louise Jamison started, started doing them because for some strange reason, she didn't do any of hers. And it's only been you know, in the last year or two, she started doing them and, and all her readings are really great as well. So yeah, I, I love, I love, love, love the audiobooks and you know, getting more now. Something else to collect. What about you, Dwayne? Well, keep in mind, the, the Keys of Marinus has just been released as well. And Jamie Glover does the reading for that one. That's right. Who plays Ian uh, in the the new Doc, Doctor, the new first uh, Doctor adventure. The mockumentary. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what to call it. The 50th anniversary documentary based on William Hartnell. Let's say that. It's 10 years ago now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And also, they release full cast audios for Big Finish as well with that TARDIS team. Yes. So it's, I haven't heard it yet, but I, as at the time of recording, but uh, I have got a copy and I will be listening to it very shortly. So uh, that uh, will be interesting. But yeah, I think I, I was never into the audiobook releases, but yes, the, the Target books have a very special place in my heart. I think the, the Target book that really got me and saw I could see how much potential the audiobook versions have was the five doctors uh when I listened to that John Colshaw was reading oh, that yep. that's only a few years old isn't it so yep. you know I haven't been I haven't been listening to them from the beginning like you have but the five doctors was absolutely incredible and this is before John Colshaw was doing some of his uh characterizations on Big Finish at the moment he's doing uh, the, the Delgado and Ailey Masters, the Brigadier, he's doing Chameleon uh, and, and various other roles. I mean, he does, you know, uh, other roles that aren't impersonations as well. So uh, it's great that John Colshaw is fully on board with Big Finish now. And it was the five doctors that just blew me away with uh, the, the way he could bring that book to life uh, was was so wonderful. And I guess with someone like John Colshaw, you could, you know, having spoken to him, we know that he he loves how much he loves the show, and that love translates into everything he does. So uh, that's good. But we're speaking with Claire Corbett soon, and she loves what she does as well. Although she's not a Doctor Who fan, but the love of what she does and the care to detail of what she did in Pfizer Pompeii was absolutely incredible. The character work. And I think you're going to be amazed that the the preparation that she does may not be exactly what you expect uh, from the TF, TV episode. Just keep an ear out for that. I'll, I won't spoil it too much. Um, but yeah, other books too that um, that I've got on audio, like Doctor Who and the Silurians. Uh, not the Silurians, Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters, thank you very much. Jeez. Let's call it by its correct title. Uh, I, I love that book. Ma Malcolm Hulk is... I don't know. Is he my favourite Target book author? Probably is, uh, because he was the one that really expanded the books and gave the characters all that history. Then you had authors like Ian Marta come along and do that too. Terence Dix was great, but he never expanded a great deal like a lot of the other authors. His, his first, uh, his first cup, his first few were really, really good, and yeah. his last few were really, really good. I did think in the middle it was sort of just a reproduction of the TV show. Yeah. Yeah, he was sort of doing it. It was like a factory production, almost. He was pumping them out. But still, uh, yeah, great to get your thoughts on that, Philip. Yeah. No, I, I always always happy to talk to audio and always happy to talk target. So. <laughs> Excellent. All right, let's jump out of that rabbit hole and we'll throw in a trailer for Ravages, which Claire Corbett starred in. 
and uh, we'll be back with her in just a moment. From Big Finish Productions, Doctor Who, The Ninth Doctor Adventures, Volume 1, Ravagers. I'm back! I'm really back in the TARDIS! You did it, old girl! Endless possibilities and events. Future, past and everything in between. I have done the thing! Temporal thing radiating from the TARDIS like nobody's business. Doctor, I honestly don't know how this could have happened. Come on, get in! Oh my god! It's alright! It's alright! Don't panic! I'm not panicking! I wasn't talking to you! Centurion! Did you just fall out of the sky or something? So? Yeah. So you lied to her? I meant what I said. Doctor! If you can hear me, you better get here soon! Run for it, lads! Stay here, waving your swords and spears around. You'll be blown off the face of the earth. That macho enough for you? He's really done it now. Nova! Hang on to something! Sir! Stop this! I couldn't agree more, Doctor. Audrey, no! Put that gun! How can this be inside your police box? Perfectly reasonable question. We're being overrun! We've got to withdraw! That sounded a bit polite for a giant mechanical monster. Oh, God, no idea, sir. Who the hell are these people? Just quiet, please, all of you. Sort of terrifying. Pretty much sums it up. What if they grab you and try to wipe your brain? They can try. Right. Shall we get on with this? That's not just amazing, it's... Fantastic! Big finish. We love stories. So we're very privileged to have with us today, Claire Corbett. Claire, thank you for joining us. Hey, you are welcome. Nice to be here. <laughs> so tell us, what, what part of the world are you uh, joining us from? So I'm in London, UK, and um, it is currently not raining. We've had a few little blustery storms coming through, but um, yeah, I think hopefully the sun's shining again. You've had, yeah. a, lo- you had a hot, lovely summer though, haven't you? But a beautiful summer, although it always got that tinge of sort of feeling a little bit scary because the, of the world right now. But um, yes, we have enjoyed a hot, hot summer. And uh, I've actually been holidaying in the UK for the first time in a long time. So, yeah, I've been up to Scarborough, which is a um, on the northeast coast, uh, which is one of those places you wouldn't normally go and it, it would be hot, but it was hot. So, yeah, I've got to swim in the sea. Oh, it's cold. <laughs> and then down to Devon, which was gorgeous. So, yeah, it's been nice to be here. Now, we've been looking through um, your Wikipedia page, and I've been onto Audible and had a look at your list. Um, it, it looks like you've done something something between four and 500 book readings. Is that, does that sound right? Yeah, it does. I started a long time ago. I started before everyone else started doing it, I think, you know, when it was back in the day when there was a few studios. I was working in a studio in Bath called Audio Go. And they did like, I did like loads of kids audiobooks to start off with. And, um, and I was working sort of doing one or two a month. And then, and now obviously because of Audible, it's brought it into the, the world of um, everyone and it's just taken off. I mean, a lot of the audio stuff at the moment is the computer game world. When I first started doing that, that was um, like two or three lines for a character and now the dialogue has expanded so the whole audio world with podcasts and everything has been amazing for me because I've been doing it forever and it's been very un- it was very under the radar when I started and now it's this big thing so 
It's really funny because I did a book called The Girl on the Train, which you may have heard of. It was made into a film. And I narrated that and for Audible. And I was just going in to do a normal job, like, and I read the book, prepped the book, went in, recorded it. And it was then on the side of buses because Audible was then starting to advertise a lot more. And um, and suddenly it became massive and people were going, oh, my goodness, I know who you are because of this thing. And I, I found it very strange because I've just been doing this job. It was like a job, you know, part of part of my doing theatre, doing a bit of voiceover, a bit, bit of TV. And suddenly I was being sort of like recognised for what I had done Audible wise and it's lovely but you do sort of think oh I've been doing this for like 20 years <laughs> gosh yeah, a lot of, that's why there's 400 because I started when I left drama school started doing um audiobooks now you've got a fairly long and varied career in all sorts of as you've done tv theatre film um yeah. books. Yeah. um when did you decide to become an actress well I didn't think you could be an actor I'm from Bristol originally so my accent should be a bit like that but, uh, and it used to be like that. When I left drama school, it was still like that. Um, I went to a, like a youth theatre and I was from quite a average, nice family in Bristol, like um, lived in a small community and didn't and went to like a little bit of a drama class, but didn't think anything of it. Had a really good drama teacher at primary school, or secondary school. And then at sixth form, there was a drama teacher who was also really good. And I suddenly started realising you could probably... You know, people were doing this as a job. I hadn't really thought about it. My parents were very supportive, but I just hadn't really thought about it. But I was obviously all right at it. I was getting some good parts at school. So I kind of just followed that up and I wanted to get a degree. So I looked at drama schools. So I didn't, and I couldn't afford to go to a normal drama school like RADA or any of those big ones. So I went to Welsh College of Music and Drama, which was accredited at that point, and you could get a degree. So it was like a drama course, but you got a degree with it. So I thought, well, that's sort of good because if I if I'm not an actor I can I've got a degree so at least I've got something um so I did that and actually Welsh College was like one of the best drama schools I could have gone to because it was it was we had a brilliant year actually Eve Miles who was in a lot of the spin-off oh, yeah, yeah. Welsh girl she was in my year um Lindsay Marshall we had a really good year who a lot of people are still working and still doing great stuff so it was a really it turned out to be one of the best decisions I'd ever made and it also wasn't in London so there's no pressure and my and I did something called Carlton Hobbs which was a award for the BBC and I won that in my last year so I got six months on the BBC radio rep which basically led me to work like my first job was with Stephen Fry on a like live radio stage. So this audio world, which I never, you know, you never as an actor think, oh, the one thing I really want to be as an actor is on the radio. Because you, it's not, you know, it, it used to be very revered back in the day, but it, it sort of, it, it the drama schools, they wanted you to be in film immediately. So starting this career the, in, for BBC Radio 4 was amazing because it, it taught me how to, be an actor without having to worry about what I looked like. I could just act with my voice and, or just act. It didn't, wasn't concerned whether I had, you know, it was, it was, you'd still put your body into it when you're doing audible or audio work anyway. So yes, yeah, so I did some live, live radio comedy. And from there, just, that just worked alongside everything else. I was doing theatre, I could go off and do a little voiceover. It was just, and radio drama, I think is like one of the, sadly, it's sort of being, 
it, it's well actually it's just changing it's not it's not it's stopping for bbc there's not as many producers for bbc sorry, i'm just talking many producers for bbc but it's merging into like the bbc sounds and there's many more companies doing radio drama so it's a different thing i think i don't think it's a bad thing i think it's just that the place that i was taught how to be an actor is slowly you know not they're not making as much stuff so I think that's been quite sad for me but but then actually there's been other doors opening as there always is when something closes. You seem like you've always been busy in terms of your I mean the the audio work seems to always be there for you in terms of a backstop but you have been busy on terms of television roles theatre roles um have there been periods where you haven't been able to work? Uh, no, I kind of took, when I had kids, I took them into studio with me because most of those studios were supportive of that. I just, I thought, well, I don't know how you stop without, I mean, it's hard, it's hard. We're in a very strange time as females at the moment, I feel like, because you're, you are trying to continue working and be in this equal space with men which is what it should all be everyone should be equal but at the same time you're the one taking the time off to have a baby so I didn't really take the time off I did take them in they just came with me and I have a friend hold them and I go into the studio pop back out again but there's lots more um there's many more places now lots of theatres that will allow you to bring your baby in while you're rehearsing I mean I think the problem is the only problem with is with that is that it's hard to focus as you must know if you've had kids you to focus when you're also being a parent there's part of your eye going oh my god they're crying over there <laughs> or oh can I just um oh so so there's that sort of thing but that was the only time really I didn't really stop I mean I stopped to give birth but um yeah I was back well I do these I used to do these um funny adverts the Dolmio adverts which I don't know if they came over to Australia but they were these little Italian puppets so me and Miriam Margulies and Victor Spinetti and anyway some other people we would play these little Italian puppets for 14 years well I would I mean I just took the kids in to you know in like babes in arms and just did the did the like voice of the small child while I was holding the baby and they were like that's fine it's great it's fine we we can just get rid of that noise whatever was going on there so yeah so I haven't really stopped I love my job though, and and the radio stuff isn't really a, like you you sort of just sort of suggested that it was a, it's not it's never been um it, it works alongside it so it is one of those things that people go oh you just like you sort of tag that along but you're like no for me that's been my steady career and all the other things theatre it takes up they take up sort of like two months of your time or four months of your time like I did some Shakespeare's in York four months of summer and then. The voiceovers were always there, but they were always the, yeah, the stalwart of what I did. They were always the the thing that I felt most comfortable in, really, because that's where I started. I mean, theatre, I know. TV's a weird, TV's a different thing. I mean, TV, you're here one day doing one thing and then you, you're not on favour because you don't look right. I mean, I, it, I've got a love-hate relationship with TV, really, because I feel like I've I've never been able, I don't think anyone can really, unless you're like a famous name. And even then you can get dropped so quickly. With with audio, this has been a steady rise and a just joyous time. And I and with TV, I do a little guest lead here and there, which I love, but that's what it is. And that's part of my career, but I've never gone. I mean, I'd love to do a massive TV part, of course, but yeah, I mean, it's it's never been enough of something really for that. So you mentioned that your first uh, job was with Stephen Fry. 
what an amazing character voice he has. Although when I when I think of him, I think of Fry and Laurie, and I yeah. love that that particular series. And I guess Hugh Laurie was one of those actors who can do all those different voices. Stephen Fry has that voice that's very distinctive all the way through. So both great for audio, but I think mm. you'd probably be more on the side of someone who can, you've got a thousand different voices, a thousand different accents. Um, so so just picking up on Stephen Fry, was what kind of influence was he on your uh, desire to keep going with audio, if any? Well, I mean, we've, we... I've just done something with him, actually, not in person, because he sort of tends to be away, so he records his stuff separately. But um, I think that was a very important time for me because it was my first job. He won't remember me, though, from that. I mean, we've met a few times, but I'm, I'm sure he's got... I mean, yeah, he meets people all the time. But I was doing something called Absolute Power with Stephen Fry and John Burt, so it's this big comedy series for Radio 4. What I think I learned from him, although, yes, he has one amazing voice... I think really you just watch someone like that work with such a clarity and sort of confidence in what he does. There's no, it's that calmness I think he he just has with, when you listen to Harry, the Harry Potter stories, he's not actually doing loads in terms of vocal variety, but he tells the story so beautifully well. So when I, so when I look at his, what he does, I'm mean, just admire it really. I think it, it, it's inspiring that he still does a multitude of things. That he's always been someone who can be within lots of different forms, and you you believe every single one of them. So whether you're changing your character with just the way you tell a story, or whether you change it by completely immersing yourself in a different accent or character. They're just two different ways of working as an actor, I suppose. But yeah, he's been inspiring in that. I just think the way he's, he accepts work and he doesn't, he's not snobby about doing an advert to get a bit of money for a bit or, and he's not, you know, he'll come and do, um, he'll write, he'll write, we're doing this thing called the Roaring 1920s for Audible. And we did the Edwardians as well. And I do loads of voices in the background of his book that he's, I don't know if he's helped write it or he's just narrating that, I think. Um, And so he's always there in the background. He's always doing stuff within audio. And it's not to make him famous. I mean, he is famous. He doesn't have to do those jobs. He doesn't need the money, I imagine. So it's just that he loves them and that he's passionate about what he does, which is what I feel about my career. I don't. I never took on a job as an actor to become famous. It's one of those things that it generally falls onto someone because of something they've been cast in. And so for me to have been working and to be able to afford my mortgage and be happy is, is why I work and I'm a jobbing actor. And whether, whether tomorrow I got the lead in a massive Netflix series, then it would take on a different turn. But that's the beauty of acting in that you never really know what's coming up. And, and I think for me, I'll always feel safe in the audio world because I know that I've worked hard to get there. Whether someone likes my face or not, it's not nothing I can do about that, really. Like if I get cast in something on TV, it will be about, you know, most people can, most actors can act, but it's whether you fit. Whereas with audio, it doesn't matter if this fits because I can do lots of different, I do kids' voices and I do all sorts of different voices. So I can be a chameleon in that. I can't be a chameleon with what I've been given here. So that's the beauty of it, isn't it, I suppose? 
I've been reading um, Fraser Hines' autobiography, and okay. uh, he talks about the fact that um, when he was 10, he went up for a part, and the, the producer, the director asked, how old are you? He said, oh, I'm 10. I said, oh, well, the boy we're looking for is nine. He said, well, I was nine a couple of months ago. <laughs> and he just said, all through his life, people just, he walks into a room and they made a decision long before they've seen him act. They can't conceive the fact that you could actually act differently or, you know, it's all about yeah. playing the role. And you seem to say the same thing that's, you know, is it really so hard for directors to just have this look in their head? If you don't match the look, you can't get the part. Yeah, it's, it's, um, well, it's a different medium, isn't it? And it has to be, you're fulfilling something different, I think, with TV, maybe. You're fulfilling an image they want to portray. I don't really know. I don't really know. I mean, I, I've loved all the TV things I've got, but I generally get cast as nurse, solicitor, teacher. I mean, I, you know, that's what I look like and that's what I tend to get. Whereas on radio, I played, you know, crazy killers and five-year-old girls. And it's just or Norwegian, you know, all these different odd characters, especially the computer game world where um, you send in your voice clip and they they listen to it blind, really. I don't think they get told who you are, what you've been in. They can look after probably, but they're listening and they're going, oh, that's brilliant. They've completely got that. So they're not being distracted by what's there. This is yeah. that, I think storytelling is beautiful on, on the radio for that. I listen to a lot of Radio 4 Extra and there's so many of the old programmes you listen in and think, oh, God, it's really painted with a lot of the Sherlock Holmes stuff and I don't know, some of the old classics that you listen to, some of the Doctor Whos as well, just the, yeah, some of the brilliant writing that actually, of course, Doctor Who on TV is amazing and it's all about that. But also, if you can listen to the stories, you you can make up what, you know, some of these creatures that are kind of just these weird creatures you you're making things up in your head which is I think the beauty of both both watching tv and also listening to the it's why why they give you such a broad range of stuff with the big finish and um all the other companies that make the doctor who's I think many of the audio doctor who stories have been far better than anything on tv by a mile and for various reasons yeah. now, now yeah, the first yeah go on sorry I was gonna say that's the first time I actually noticed you <laughs> um, and have since gone looking was um, the audio book The Fires of Pompeii which was released a couple of months ago so yeah. one of the new and just listening to that being read I was just taken away take I was taking the space so well in terms of the voices you did the humor you brought the the way you brought the action to life and that I actually took the you know, setup took note and went wow um, how how long has it taken you to establish so many different voices and that sort of ability to just read a novel with so much entertainment? I mean, it was just so engaging. Well, you know what? That's brilliantly written, that book. So most of the work's already done for me, number one, I want to say, because the, the writing on that was just great. Um... But but you did nail the characters. It you, you were talking about these wonderful, wonderful creatures and monsters in Doctor Who, but what you nailed in that book was the character of the Doctor and Donna, particularly Donna. So yeah. I'm curious to know what kind of research you did. Did you get that episode and just study the mannerisms and I did I did actually that one. So so for because it had, I didn't even know it had been done. So when I got it, I prepped it without knowing. 
Um, I knew who the I knew who the actresses, actress and actor were, obviously who were playing them. But I read it through and prepped it first of all, so that I could go naturally on instinct of how I would think it would be read, because that that's where it needs to come from initially, is from you, because you're going to be reading the whole thing. Then I watched some, there were some clips on YouTube of some of the, because I couldn't get hold of the whole episode. I just watched some little bits on online of them, their relationship, David Tennant. And um, and they were just amazing together. Yeah, they were, they were so, they're so funny. And the writing's really funny. In the book, obviously, they've got more of the dialogue than they have in the, in the TV, because the TV has to be shortened down, you know, made a bit smaller. So, um. I was really enjoying the fact that there was more to it. So I didn't have, I wasn't copying everything. I was able to create the relationship in my own head as well. Cause you don't want to give a line for line read, otherwise there's nothing even narrating it. So I think, I think it's a great story. And then from that, I suppose the one, the characters who were around the doctor, um, I, I did I did have a little listen, but obviously I can't recreate all of them. So I just went with instinct on those ones. But yeah, the energy comes from the story and the arc of the story. I'm not thinking about that when I'm reading it. It naturally happens for me. And um, as in if a story is brilliantly written, it's not hard to get to get there. But that particularly was a romping read. Like it went quickly. I'm quite a quick reader anyway. I've got to slow myself down a lot, as you can hear from me talking. <laughs> uh, I'm like, when I'm in the studio, I'm like, come on, slow down. <laughs> so the, the the energy and pace was already there with that one. So I found that the, the dialogue could bounce off the page really easily. I hope that answers your question. That's good. No, we, we spoke to James Moran, who wrote it just before oh, it James, was released. Oh, James, yeah, yeah. And, um, and of course, we'd we'd listened to you read. He hadn't heard it yet because the, the audio had, we we got we got early copies of the audios to listen to before it was released. And so okay. yeah, we were telling James about how good it was, and he was you know he was talking about need to go and listen to it. Um, just talk about your prep process. So you got get the novel. How do you how do you actually what what form do you get it in at first? Is it actually you don't get the book book? Actually, you get. I get a I get a PDF, I get a PDF of the script and I upload that to something called I annotate, which is like a like you can pet you can write on it on your computer. Um, I tend to, this is my little book here. I tend to write down all the characters. That isn't all the characters from that book, but do, so I'll write down um as I go through, I'll write, I'll note down all the characters, what page they appear on, any accent notes that might come alongside those characters. So if they've, if they've got where, they, where they're from or, you know, how old they are, any of them. There's the cockney salesman in Fires of Pompeii, for instance. Yes, mm. yes, exactly. So I'll write all those down. Then if there's a particular, particular accent I'm not great at or want to try, then I'll just do that out loud or I'll, you know, what else do I write down? So all the characters and then I, and then I just kind of start. I mean... You, you do have to read it very well because you get to the end of a book and someone then mentions an accent and you think, I didn't do that. <laughs> you can't change it then. So, so you have to be very, you have to be thorough with that first read. I used to read it about four times through and colour code it all. And now I've been doing it for that long. I just write like an R at the beginning of it or a D for doctor. And so I know before I start the sentence that I'm going to be that character and that if there's a witch she whispered at the end I'll put whisper at the beginning so I've got shorthand now for how to notate annotate it but 
Um, it's a long process narrating an audiobook. It's energy. I've got to do it after this for a book that I'm narrating. And it is it, it takes a lot of energy. And if you're doing it in your home studio, I've got a little home studio here. It can you're not talking to anyone. It's it's it can be quite hard. I think not not all actors enjoy it. And sometimes I don't enjoy it. If it's if it's a book that I particularly I'm not, it's not jarring with, or it might seem really good when you read it through in your head, but when you start to read it aloud, you think, this is so clunky. I'm just not getting into this. I don't know what it is. And sometimes that's because the author sometimes either hasn't read it aloud or not all authors should read it aloud, but a lot of the time you release date of audiobook is the same day as the release date of the um, script now of the book. So sometimes authors have said to me, oh yeah, that, that's really, when you say that out loud, that's really hard to say. And you think, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> Not that they should be thinking about that because they've got enough on their hands writing a book, which I, hands down, amazing. But but it is, some books are harder to read aloud than others. But that one was amazing. All the Doctor Whos I've done, actually, the audio books, have been rip, brilliant, rip roaring, like, whew, is always really good. I've, I've, I've not had one that I thought, oh, that's not very good. So, yeah. <laughs> so so really what you're saying is you get a PDF of just the book uh, and you have to do all the marking up yourself. It's not a special audio book version of the book. No, 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 no. It's just the book, yeah. Just the book. Yeah. So you have to do all that work yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sometimes get, you can, you can ask for character lists, but only some authors would have given those. But the one I'm doing at the moment, I'm also I'm working with Philip Franks, an actor called Philip Franks. He's doing the other voices in the books. He's got a couple of chapters. I played this sort of lead character, and then his chapters are my son reflecting back on his mother and I play the mother and we have to so I've emailed him saying this is how I'm going to do the voice so when you do your bits make sure you don't give it this accent or so sometimes you're with multi-voices of books and you you kind of you you're relying a bit on the producer then to help out with if someone's done a completely different voice for the same character but obviously you don't you don't create the same voices when you're doing a book you can only give a slight flavor if it's accent or something so yeah you just get, get from the book and that's it and you don't get paid for your prep time you just go straight in you're like bang <laughs> you just gotta so the more so you kind of prep you get very efficient at prepping and then you're in and you do your book you do, you do your job so yeah so you said you do most of your recording in a home studio or do you go in i've got a home studio and i normally i normally record in um in town in different studios in town but through lockdown i created a home studio because you had to it was the only way to work um so I did three months back on the radio rep actually at the beginning of lockdown they phoned and said can you come and do all the different voices for the radio plays for radio four because we don't know what we're doing uh we need to set up some stuff so we need to rewrite the plays to two-handers and can you come in and do a couple of plays while we're setting up the rest of the people to to create more people more of a, a radio rep so I went and did that with a guy called Carl Prekop, who's also a brilliant narrator and actor. And he, um, we did sort of a couple of plays for Radio 4 while everything got up and running. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's why I've got a home studio. But it's quite, it's very efficient. I mean, it means you can pop in and just do a little advert here or there or, you know, so it's great. So how many takes do you, do you usually take with a book? I mean, if you're, if you're doing it in your home studio or with a director, is there usually someone you're bouncing off in terms of, Yes, that's fine. And next page or next chapter? Oh, no, no. Yeah, no. They kind, of, they kind of, producers just kind of let you go and, and do your thing, especially if you've been doing it a long time. They, they're there to check up on consistency of character and words. So if you mess up any words, they'll go, oh, no, you didn't add that word. You can't 
add words or take them away. You have to follow, obviously, completely the book. Um, so producers are there to just keep you keep you going. And for me, they are. I mean, I don't know, we have more heavier jobs with certain things. Um, but I, I now, yeah, self-produce. So I self-produce and I'll send off. So I pick up, pick myself up if I've made a mistake. I'm a, I'm a really, I'm a really, I, I make lots of mistakes. I mean, everyone when they obviously they listen to my audio, it's like, you didn't make any mistakes. Like, I made so many mistakes, but you don't hear them because we edit them out. So I'm very good consistency and character wise. But if you spoke to any of the lovely engineers that I work with, they'd be like, oh, she messes up every five seconds. I mess up, but I quickly can pick up and I can very seamlessly make it seem like the same sentence. I mean, if I was to be honest with you, yeah. I mean, I don't get through a whole page without messing up at least once. <laughs> <laughs> and then sometimes on one sentence, I might do it four times because it's really hard to say. So, I mean, I'm not precious about that. It, in the end, this is why I hands down say thank you to all the editors and proofers and all the people that are picking all the stuff up that I do. <laughs> they enjoy listening to the story, but they do sometimes have a bit of work to do. So, so thank you. So you're not made to, you know, it's all the people behind the scenes that make it your voice sells the story. And as long as you can hold and retain things, like with that Doctor Who one we're talking about, Fires of Pompeii, I did do that and self-edit myself. So the, the editor did get a, a finished product with just sounds and things he had to take out just occasionally. But yeah, um, but if I'm in a studio, all my engineer mates will be like, yeah. <laughs> she sounds good once we put her together. <laughs> well, I'm sure we all do. How many, um, how many pages? Oh, sorry, how many pages do you usually do in a session or in a day? Mm. So they generally say, obviously, there's more pages, there's more words in some pages. So I mean, who knows? Depending on the book, but you you probably get through between sixty to seventy five pages a morning so yeah 140 pages a day maybe that's so you get like a little break in the morning little break in the afternoon and your lunch break but you're in there heavy I mean if I'm doing it at home I take loads of breaks <laughs> I think oh I've got to do my washing oh god I've got to go and pick up the kids so yeah <laughs> so it's quite nice doing it at home because you can stop so I'm starting today obviously after I finish you with you I'm going to go and start recording the second bit of this book I'm doing so um, and I'll do probably three hours because next door's kids will come home at some point and I'll just hear them doors banging. And so my, I've got, you know, if you're recording at home, you've got nature around you. It's not a soundproof studio. It's soundproof enough to keep going. But if next door come home, it's like they've got three kids. So, Claire, Claire, are you in? So, that, you know, so I've got to stop then. And I might do something late tonight. I might do a couple of hours after nine o'clock tonight when they've gone to bed or so it's nice. It gives you the flexibility working at home. But um, yeah, normally it's like 10 till 6 in town, if I'm in town. Yeah. I want to ask you about uh, accents. Do you need to have an aptitude for, for accents? Can anyone learn how to do an accent? Or is it something that you need a special talent to, to have? No, I don't think you need a special talent. Some people tell, will tell. I think you need a special talent to do impressions. Because since I did um, Spitting Image, which I did some kids on the first new lot I trying to do impersonations of people and impressions of people is one of the hardest things I think you've got to have a real aptitude to do that it's amazing I can copy someone's voice I'm better at that but 
but they copy mannerisms as well and certain things in the book. So when I say I can copy people, I find it easier to copy kids than I do adults. And I just couldn't, I mean, I, I got, I've got asked to do a couple of impression shows since then. And I just said, I just can't, I can kind of do it, but not quite. But sorry, so going back to accents. No, you, anyone can do them. It's a massive, um, it's, it's massively to do with confidence. You've all got to be good at it, obviously, but confidence and working hard, I think, right? So when I was at Welsh College, I couldn't do any accents. And when I first started on the radio rep, my dad told me after one job I had done, I went back to Bristol. I said, hey, dad, did you enjoy that radio play? And he said, yeah, Clara, it was really good. The only thing is your accent went in and out. I was like, dad, my first radio play. I was like, what do you mean, dad? And he went, well, you know, you were, you were sort of doing a London accent. It became a bit more cockney. And then it was just like, then you just did your voice. And I said, oh, God. And so after that, I sort of thought, right. I'm going to have to work a bit harder at this. And I sat down and I realized that phonetically you can write accents out. So you can, you can actually, there's an amazing website called IDEA, International Dialects of the Ar English Archive. And that place has got recordings of all, ev every accent everywhere. And then it has phonetically, you can listen to like what the A sound changes to. So I just started working really hard at that. And I had to do a job where I had to pretend to be South African because the client thought we were all going to be South. We all actually were from South Africa. So I took a, I took my husband's mate out for a drink and I had the script and I made him record it all for me. And then I sat all night and said, I'm going to speak in a South African accent. And when I get it wrong, you need to tell me. And he was like, OK. And I said, I need to learn all about your life because he might ask me about where I live. And so I and I so it spent a night with this guy and I immersed myself in this accent. And it was the one accent that I just could just couldn't sit right. South African was really difficult. And then from that day, and I went in and I got the job and I went in and I did that job and I pretended to be South African the whole day. And I completely and I completely immersed myself in it. And the guy that it had employed me said, that was amazing. But when you started talking about um, apartheid. I thought I was I was going to say to you, you need to stop now because you don't know anything about any of this, you know. And I was because I'd learned all this stuff about South Africa because I thought I've got I've got to know everything because they might ask me. I was from Bloemfontein. I was, um, and he said, but it was really good. Your accent was amazing. So I then realised you could just do it. You could just learn to do it. But it did take me a bit of time to properly. There's so many accents in the UK. Geordie's the one that I'm still not great at. Bristolian, obviously, I can do really well because I'm from there. But yeah, so I, so I think everyone can learn to do an accent. You can write it phonetically down. You can work hard at it. Or some people are just good at them, all of them. But So it's yeah. about confidence. Do you have the confidence to give us your best Australian? Oh, no. Um, I haven't got anything to read. Um, right. <laughs> Hi there. I don't even know. I'm sure there's many different Australian accents. So I don't want to embarrass myself. But yeah, I can do an Australian, I think. But I probably would go away and work it and come back. To you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. I want to hear it. Oh, no. I don't want to do it. Um, I, um, uh, oh, no. Um, I'll probably go into New Zealand as well. No, don't embarrass me. <laughs> 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 uh, it's okay. Usually we hear people do Australian accents, we just cringe, thinking, I'm sure we don't sound like that. But maybe no. we probably do. We probably do. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you've won lots and lots of um, awards for oldies. 
Um, yeah, so what's it, what's it like winning awards? They don't really make you rich and famous, do they? <laughs> I mean, what what does it mean, really? There's so many awards now, aren't there? I mean, of course it's lovely to win an award, but the Audis won. I mean, that one, that was for Good on the Train, the first one I won, along with the other... There were other people in that, in that production, of course, um, who were brilliant. And... Um, I didn't even know it was going on. I just got told that I won it. And I was like, what, what, what is it? And this is big, obviously, award ceremony in America. If I'd known, I'd have bloody gone. But, um, <laughs> but I didn't know about what? I didn't know anything about that one. But they're everywhere. People win awards from many different places now. So I've, I've, the ones, obviously, you know about, like BAFTA and Oscars. I mean, those are the ones that you sort of aspire as an actor to kind of win. I mean, the, the computer game I was in just won a BAFTA the best compute well we could won five BAFTAs actually called It Takes Two which is a computer game that came out last year and Elden Ring which is a big computer game that came out this year that's I think it's not in the running for BAFTA yet but I think I might might well be up for a BAFTA who knows fingers crossed but um I don't yeah I mean of course it's lovely because of all the work you put into these things but I'm you know well, when yeah. we were speaking with James Moran, the, the author of um, Pfizer Pompeii, he, he did say he saw your name uh, on, on his work and he, he said to us that this is audiobook royalty. So you, it does give you a good name in the business. But yeah, I, I'm getting the impression from you that just as much as he is in awe of you, you're in awe of good writing as well. Oh, my God, I'm in awe of him. I think he's amazing. It only makes your job, it, it only, you can only do a good job if the work is good. You can, you can kind of, you know, make something a bit better if it's a bit, yeah. but you, but you, if it's good, it's just good. I think when it comes to writing, you just know, and people enjoy it. You, you can, yeah, you can, you can hopefully give it a bit more energy if it's like a flat book, but you, when it's true talent, like James has got, you, you yeah. And they're this sort of like spoken heroes, really, of the rate of the Doctor Who stuff. Like all the writers for Doctor Who are just, they love their work so much, don't they? Mm. And they're so invested in the characters. I just don't, they're so, they know all these people, all these characters inside and out. And that's just what, that's what makes it so good. The passion behind it, the Doctor Who following, everyone involved in Doctor Who that I've met has just been absolutely amazing Tom Baker was incredible to work with I did a, I did I played his assistant in a radio radio uh, Doctor Who and he just is joyous like everyone involved in it loves it there's no one that doesn't you know you might not be a fan of Doctor Who but you can still appreciate how popular it is and how lovely everyone is that's around it yeah, and I was going to say you you won the Carlton Hobbs Radio Award, which you already mentioned at drama school. Now, Big Finish has gone on to try and employ I think everyone who's ever won the Carlton Hobbs. We we really talk to people who've won the Carlton Hobbs, and Big Finish just steal them. So, how was it you came to work for Big Finish? Oh gosh, they've been asking for a while actually, um, but it was just not it, it just didn't work because they they have you in for a couple of days and. I hadn't worked for them for, and actually, do you know what? That isn't, that isn't true. I'm completely lying. I hadn't worked for them because they hadn't asked me for ages. And then they did ask me and then I wasn't available. So it was like a period of time when I just couldn't, I just couldn't, these fruit flies around in them. Um, I couldn't do it. And then finally it sort of coincided that we were both free and I went in and did one and just loved it. I mean, the, it's so quick. 
So for a BBC radio drama, used to do, we don't do this anymore, but used to do a lovely read through, you have a nice cup of tea, but they're just in. You're like in, you're all around mics, there's loads of you in one room, you're just doing it and you've got to be on it. And they do like one or two takes and it's it's like a lesson in just getting your act together quickly. <laughs> and the stuff that comes out is just wonderful when you're in there because they also let you play. So they're not just, you've got to get it done. It's, you'll give a voice and they'll go, hmm, can you make it a bit more like this? And you're like, yeah, let's just play with that. So you just, you're playing with stuff and then they'll find it and they go, that's, that's the one, that's the one, let's just do it, do it, let's go. So then you're off and you're all, you're away. And um, so it is a joyous occasion working for Big Finish. It's fun. They're, they're great. I mean, some of it's been down the line recently, which is, which is less exciting because you don't get to see everyone. Yeah. So the first one I think you did was with Tim Trelaw, was that right? And Katie Manning? Or a third doctor. Oh yes, yes. Gosh, oh my gosh, you're really testing my memory now. <laughs> yeah. Who did I play in that? Some kind of like soldiery thing. No. Uh Harriet, <laughs> woman, radio technician. I've got whenever when, when your name comes up, there's usually fifteen people behind you <laughs> next to you. Yes, 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 I think that one was that wasn't with Tom Baker, was it? No, it's with Tim Trelaw. Oh yes. Oh my god. Rufus Hound, Kenny Manning. Yeah, we did, I didn't get to meet them though. I didn't think they were in the studio at the same time as us. I can't remember recording that. Sorry. No, no, um, that's okay. I but I I vaguely remember the the title of that one. Gosh, it's so horrible when you can't you sort of <laughs> thinking of all the things I've done. No, no, it's fine. I mean, you, so you came back next to Jenny, the doctor's daughter. Yes, I remember doing that one. That was at the Sound House. That was lovely. She was lovely. That's David Georgia. Tennant's one. It? it is George yeah. Tennant's. That's right. She's, she was just delightful. She's really great at her job and so, so friendly. That was a really lovely one. Yeah, that was great. And I think I played a bit a sort of soldiery character for that one, maybe. Quite stern, quite RP. Yeah, because I play a lot of, not just one character, sort of the characters merge. The Ravagers that I did, I played the actual Ravager and they got me to do a kid's voice for that, a really creepy kid's voice. It was creepy. Was really yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I remember that one really well because it was a complete, it was like a specific, they got me in to do that at the same time as I was recording The Box of Delights. I think that was big finish, yep. Box of Delights, where I played Yeah. So that was playing a young girl for that. So was it, yeah, so with... with were you actually working with Christopher Eccleston or just? Yeah, I've met him a couple of times. Yeah, well, um, where did I see? We, I was down the line with him. I was flicking literally on one day between two big Finnish productions. They were doing they were doing that and Box of Delights, I think, at the same time. And I popped over, literally did two, two three scenes and then went back again and spoke to him down the line. And I've met him a couple of times because he works. I think he goes into studio rather than having a home studio, Christopher. So he was in recording something. He does a lot, doesn't he, with them? Well, he's, he's a starter too. Yeah. So he did, did do anything, but the, once again, to, because of COVID, he, um, yeah. well, he started, I think he started wanting the work just because he wanted the money. Um, and he actually worked out he enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> so having taken years and years of asking him. Yeah, it's so lovely. There's no, there's just, just to feel so, all the producers are great. Barnaby, I work a lot with. And all the producers are fantastic. The company's great. They're just, they're really friendly and they're very, they work around you if there's any worries with anything. So yeah, they're great. Really good. The, the most recent release from Big Finish that you've done is Jekyll and Hyde. So that was all remote recording, was it? 
That was remote recording. Uh, and it was a bit of a troubled production too. I, I don't know if you recall that, but I think there were Nick. I think Nick had COVID and Benji had COVID and. Oh yeah, there was a COVID. Yeah, I think one of them was down the line with COVID, but seemed was okay. Seemed okay. Was able to carry on, keep on carry on. He um he was he sort of said oh, I've got COVID, but I feel okay at the moment. Just a little bit odd. <laughs> so people were sort of doing that, which is amazing because you can record from home. So if you're feeling all right, which some people did, um, you could kind of keep going. I think by the end of maybe by the second day, he was seeming a little bit more tired. But I don't know if that was because of our bad accent or whether it was just. <laughs> well, you were playing multiple roles in that too, so. I had so many. Uh, all, the, all the female roles. It's every uh, female, every female on the on the record. But it's interesting because it's a very male, it's a very male centric story, and yeah. particularly the main character you're playing, Mrs. Poole, is traditionally a, a male character, which. Uh, I didn't even notice. I'm a huge Jekyll and Hyde fan of all the different productions over the years, and I didn't even notice until towards the end. Oh, hang on, that's Mrs. Poole, not not Mr. Poole. Um, uh, how did you enjoy doing that? Oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I was like a challenge. We're <laughs> doing scenes next to each other, going, "Can you make it sound different?" Probably, but they do have the same accent. This is really mean of you. So I was doing lots of different ages, and yeah, and there was obviously that emotional scene with the young girl in it. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, what a brilliant story. I mean, all of it. I didn't realise that, um, I knew Big Finish did other stuff, but they've really branched, there's a bit more branching out, isn't there, of other mm. new things around, which is, which is really lovely. So, yeah, Barnaby um, directed, did Barnaby direct some of that? Yeah. I'd I say. Or, I don't know, yeah. He does a lot for them. But, yeah, it was just, that was great. That's Nick Briggs, actually. Nick, Nick Briggs, that one. No, sorry, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah, Nick, Nick, Nick was Nick was quiet on that one. He directed it, he did the music, he produced it, and he adapted it. So he had a quiet one with that one. Yeah, yeah. He, he deserves no credit for that. It's a good job I thought that Barnaby directed it. So Nick, <laughs> <laughs> well done, Nick. Uh, no, I mean all these productions are great for them. But yeah, good that they're doing loads more stuff. That's how it should be, shouldn't it? It should be able to merge into us some other things. Um, yeah, they're they're lovely. They've always been really supportive. Now, why do you think there's been the growth in popularity of audio in terms of, you know, even though you know, film and TV still seems big, but there's definitely a gr growth in audio stories and audio books. I do, I do think that all the Audible have got a lot, that we've got a lot to sort of, credit them for when it comes to the the sort of rise of audio especially audiobooks because it was sort of a, a library thing really i mean you know you didn't really get when would you listen to an audiobook you get a cd out of the library maybe for your kid not really even for adults you wouldn't really think about it so audible did a massive favor or you'd have to go onto like specific websites for audiobooks Unfortunately, I think it's not been great for all publishers because money-wise, it's sort of been diluted a little from what I can gather. That's not that's not really my... I don't really understand the whole politics of it, but obviously it's helped to increase the popularity, but there's more being made and a lot of it's online, so people get less money, I think, within the publishing world, but I'm not sure how that works. But but for, for, but for how it's risen, it's incredible and all hats off to audible for sort of whoever owns whatever um for, for sort of creating that i think that then also 
the podcast world. I mean, how did that explode? That just exploded, didn't it? But I think that was probably down to the fact that we were listening more to audiobooks. That was on the rise. Audible have done more dramas. BBC have gone on to BBC Sounds. There's been that push, and that's actually doing really well now. When that first happened, I thought, what is this BBC Sounds thing? It's not, it's not very accessible. But now it's really good, and you get loads of stuff for free that you would never think to listen to. All the radio plays are available on BBC Sounds, which is brilliant because they were just lost into the ether. Mm. We're on BBC Radio 4 Extra. So if I wanted to listen again to something, you'd have to go back and listen again. But now it's all on BBC Sounds, which is great. Loads of audiobooks have been put on there. So Pride and Prejudice, which I did, is like had like 9 million downloads. It's been ridiculous. So it uh, the stuff is getting out there, which was never really available, which is fantastic. So if there's 9 million downloads, is there any... There's more than that now. This is now this is such a Bristolian girl thing. I'm like, oh my god! But I was so excited because the BBC phoned me and said we'd recorded that just before lockdown. And because of lockdown, obviously people were looking for something to listen to. They weren't looking for Claire Corbett. They were looking for Pride and Prejudice, something a bit, you know, let's listen to this. It's little soft, gentle, and it's just done brilliantly. They just mentioned it on BBC Radio Two the other day. Gabby Rothman. Oh my god! This this beautiful piece was made into like these seven minute clips. Me and this lovely producer just sat there recording it, thinking, oh, this would be nice for like BBC Sounds. And now it's, I mean, it was 9 million downloads at the end, or the, it was top download during, during um, COVID. So I'm really proud. I didn't ever think that that many people would even, I mean, they might have downloaded it and not listened to it. So, I don't know, but. <laughs> so, but do you, get, do you get residuals for that or is it, just, is it just a flat fee now? No, no, it's not about the money. No, no, no money. No, I get paid something like 200 quid, you know, to pop in and do a little recording. But, <laughs> but um, actually I did that whilst I was on the BBC Radio Reps. It was on a weekly fee, a, re- a weekly fee. So it wasn't even, a, you know, a paid for job as in it was paid for within a, world of you know working per week but it wasn't a thing but no no down nothing nothing now I mean it used to be that you know when you did all those big jobs like um all the Sherlock Holmes stuff you did for BBC Radio you get like a little bit of royalty tiny like 1p every time it got sold but now that it's all it's supposedly within the fee but the fee's not gone up so it's not it's not royalty it's just that they're just paying you a flat fee with no extra money, like everything when it comes to every other job in the world. None of us are getting pay rises, are we? So mm. so where, where can we listen to Pride and Prejudice, you say? That's on BBC Sounds. And there's Gosh. also Orlando. Orlando is on there as well, which I think was really great. It's such an amazing book, Orlando. And that's on there as well. So, I mean, only if you're into Pride, you know, probably lots of people aren't into Pride and Prejudice. But I think it's a good, it's a, I'm proud of that one. Let's just say that. And I think um, anyone that's listened to it has enjoyed it. So, well, maybe that's just my family. <laughs> we love that. <laughs> well, people keep listening to it. Can't be too bad. Yeah. I mean, it's not Doctor Who. So if you're really into Doctor Who, probably probably just, well, no, actually, who knows? Well, a bit of culture's, culture's good for you. So in terms of Box of Delights, did you actually get to work with Derek Jacobi? Or once again, it was all down the line and... Worked with Derek Jacobi a few times. I worked with him on Radio Four. Um, I didn't work with him on the Box of Delights because he was down the line, and I don't even think I spoke to him. And I don't even know if our characters were together in that. Probably were, but I can't remember. You got sometimes you had to like just leave spaces for people who weren't able to be there for that point, so they then mixed it in later. But Derek Jacobi's like the sweetest man in the world. He's so lovely. Such a, he's, he's exactly what you would like him to be, which is just friendly and lovely. I wish I had seen him recently. Yeah. 
wonderful man. <laughs> well, listen, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and thank you the, uh, some of the techniques you put into your book reading. Certainly, um, I'm enjoying them and I, and I look out for your name now. <laughs> oh, well, thank and, um, you. It's a pleasure. I'm glad we got to chat at last. From Big Finish Productions, Big Finish Classics, Jekyll and Hyde. Oh. Oh. Satisfied. Oh, he's commonplace enough to look at a bit on the short side, but when you do look at him, you wish you had never done it. You wish you could forget. But I can never forget. I'll never forget that face. Never forget what he done. Do not see, sir. They mean to take your life. You are a liar, sir. I beg your pardon. And I did not give it. By all lights and at all hours of solitude and concourse, I was to be found. There. Waiting. If he be Mr. Hyde, I thought. I shall be Mr. Seek. <laughs> like a blind fool, I welcomed it into my heart. My home. And it very nearly destroyed me. <laughs> Thank the Lord. I am rid of it. Big finish. For the love of stories. The moment... I choose, I can be rid of Mr. Hyde. All right, so that was a trailer for Jekyll and Hyde. If you haven't yet grabbed a copy of that, I can highly recommend it. It was one of my favourite releases over the last couple of months, so absolutely recommend you get that. Have you heard it yet, Philip? Well, you know what? I was going to recommend that. Oh, excellent. But be actually, is it your turn to make well, recommendations for this week? Well, I hope it is, because I want to go first if I can. Well, it is your turn, so away okay. you go. Yeah, so I am going to recommend Jekyll and Hyde. And I'm doing this because I know you're a big fan of Jekyll and Hyde. I'm mm. not. Right. I, I, I don't think I've read the book. I don't think I've ever seen a movie version of it. I, I mean, I kind of knew the story in the background. And I've, I've got the now, sound. You listened, to my, you listened to my reading of the book, didn't you? Uh, did I? <laughs> I thought you. I thought you did. <laughs> it's on the podcast feed anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well. Okay. I need to go back and listen to it because I, I, nothing in this was particularly familiar. Oh. So I don't know how much it's changed the order of the story or anything. So I will go back and listen, I will definitely go back now and listen to your reading on the podcast. Because um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. It, it was just amazing because I don't wasn't particularly familiar with the story, and yeah. You know, and I, mean, I had in my head what I thought the story was about. It was it was a lot different, and right. yeah, the, produ the production was just wonderful. It was creepy and very uncomfortable and brilliantly acted, mm -hmm. and I had a ball. Well, that's the wrong word for this, but in terms of a piece of audio that really sucked me in, to the extent of I went to visit my mother yesterday in Gosford, and I was so caught up in the audio I missed the turn off. Oh, and, right. I, and I'm driving along the um, M1, heading up towards Newcastle, looking around me, thinking, I wonder where the turnoff is, and then realising I have no idea where I am. It took me a couple of minutes to try and locate myself, and I had to go off an exit, two exits away, and you know, add an extra 20 minutes to my trip, because I was just that caught up in the story. So if you haven't, yeah, get, get Jekyll and Hyde. It is wonderful. 
Big Finish does so much more than just Doctor Who, and it is really worth exploring because anything they do is going to be excellent. And broaden your understandings, broaden your genres. I, I can't encourage you more than to dip into all their non-Doctor Who stuff because it yeah. will really catch you with great stories. What I loved about it was the the dialogue that came straight from the story. So it's an adaptation, yes, so it's not exactly the same as the as the story. But the dialogue is used word for word in many, many places. And I, I love that because I love the I love the story so much and particularly the Tom Baker version, although my version's pretty good too, Philip. It's not, not sure it's not be. it's not abridged either, like the Tom Baker version. So it's it's the full book is up there. And just Robert Louis Stevenson's language is just beautiful. But what I liked about it uh, was that I'd read these words many, many times before and the 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 actors were saying these words in ways that I had never before imagined. So it was like a new experience for me. There's a scene with with Dr. Lanyon where he's where he's dying from the shock of seeing the transformation of Hyde into Jekyll and that scene, I've never heard uh, that scene performed that way. I've seen a few different versions of the of the story. It was harrowing. Oh, mate, it, it was, was really it, harrowing. It made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. Yeah, it was it was incredible, absolutely incredible and powerful. So, um, that particular performance really stood out to me. But Barnaby Kay is in the virtually the, the you think Jekyll and Hyde is the lead role, but actually in the story, it's it's Utterson is the lead. Yeah, uh, and Barnaby Kay is uh, is in that role, doing a great job. It's the month of Barnaby Kay. Three things out for Big Finish. Yeah, and all of them sensational. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Now, what about you? What What are you going to recommend for us, Dwayne? I'm going to recommend something that I finished listening to yesterday, and that is the Auton Infinity, which is part of the uh, Doctor Who Forty box set for the 40th, 40th anniversary of the fifth doctor celebration so 41 came out earlier in the year i think it was the first release of uh, this year actually it must have been because um because it was on the first of january i think that peter davison debuted wasn't it Possibly. or second of january first or second of january it was very early in january 1982 so the auton infinity is written by tim foley it's a six-part adventure. It is the first full-length six-part adventure, and I say that because The Fifth Doctor did have a six-part adventure called The Game many, many years ago, but the episodes were about 15 minutes long. They're very short. So these, these episodes are minimum 30 minutes. Some of them go for 35, and it it is such a wonderful celebration of The Fifth Doctor. Now, I'm not one who is a, the world's biggest fan of The Fifth Doctor era, but I know it very well. I've seen it many times. And the references to it, the throwbacks to it, the way the story ties into that era, the affection that has been put into the story, the love that has been put into there by Tim Foley and John Dorney, the script editor, would have had a lot to do with that as well. And the performances of John Colshaw as the brigadier, as the master, the Ainley master, and Chameleon, are done with such affection, as I've already mentioned uh, earlier in the episode, that John Colshaw has such love for Doctor Who that that shows in every performance he does. I love the the Autons, 
the nesting consciousness is probably probably my favorite classic era monster because uh it's probably my my most behind the sofa moment in doctor who was spearhead yeah. from space so uh that's the one that really uh stands out to me as uh, the most terrifying childhood nostalgic memory for me through doctor who not a terrifying in a bad way but you know that terrify the terror that sort of draws you into fandom that was that, that was the autons that did it and i loved i think it's is it is it lee lee adams lee adams is it lee? there's a couple of lees lee adams lee binding i think it's lee adams is the sound designer uses uses the and forgive me if i got the name wrong too and correct me someone in the comments you're welcome to do that um using the original auton sounds from spearhead from space you know the wow 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 i love yep. that 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 was missing from terror of the autons and i always miss that uh when i watch terror but um that having those original sounds back the original you know the sounds of the of the guns and everything is fantastic and the conceit behind the story how that this particular nesting consciousness is there is just tied into the fifth doctor's era so beautifully i cannot recommend this enough and philip you should listen to it next okay i've got it downloaded but i'm still trying to work through our randomoids at the moment as well <laughs> i've got so much to listen to i know it's fantastic isn't it we're it not is. we are very spoiled for choice we when totally it comes spoiled. to our audio totally spoiled. all right that's it for this episode thank you uh, to Claire Corbett for joining us and thank you to you Philip for arranging it and for everyone for watching for listening thank you so much that's all I can say thank you Dwayne thanks everyone <laughs> all right we'll catch you next time this has been the Sirens of Audio episode 132 the woman with a thousand voices with our guest Claire Corbett and your hosts Philip Edney and Dwayne Bunny original theme music composed by Joe Kramer our website is sirensofaudio.com. You can email us at sirensofaudio at gmail.com or contact us by any one of our socials. Thanks for listening, audio files. We'll hear you next time.